reading is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 9, verses 35, to chapter 10, verses 15. And you will find that on page 814 of your Pew Bible. Page 814. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he was compassion, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into this harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you say, as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the labourer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, Find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Amen. What is Jesus talking about at the end of chapter 9 there? Uh, What does he mean by this idea of a harvest? Uh, Chapter 9, verse 37, he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. 
It's a metaphor, isn't it? I mean, let's come quickly to agree on that much, at least. He's not suddenly abandoning his ministry to take up farming lentils or something. No, harvest is a metaphor, but for what? And how does it connect to the metaphor before it in verse 36? What is it about people being like sheep without a shepherd that suddenly makes Jesus talk about a harvest that needs tending to? Well, back at the start of our reading in verse 35, Jesus had actually started all of this in plain speak, uh, such that those two farming metaphors that come later are, are simply talking about bringing people into his kingdom. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the kingdom of the gospel of the kingdom and, and healing every disease and, and every affliction. Our eyes get distracted by the miracles and the, and the wow factor after at the end of that statement, but they seem to be secondary to Jesus' main purpose. Matthew keeps reminding us of that as we read through, if you recall, that Jesus fundamentally actually came to call people into his kingdom. We've been reflecting on that the past few weeks, glancing back each week to the start of Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. Uh, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's no surprise, therefore, that at the end of chapter 9 here, Jesus is still talking about that kingdom, striking up a couple of new metaphors now to help us catch hold of that message of the kingdom. And we have here too, tucked away in verse 36, his motives in proclaiming this gospel of the kingdom. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus cares for the people and he wants to bring them into himself and watch over them like a shepherd does. Uh, but perhaps, uh, perhaps the people have been neglecting their, their faithful over-shepherd God. Uh, perhaps their religious leaders had uh, been failing to properly care for them and guide them under God. Whatever Jesus' nuance is here, he looks at these people and he just wants to take them in. He wants their situation to change. And he wants others to come and help him call people into his kingdom. That's verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. And so if we've got all that right, the harvest work he's talking about is, is proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus is telling his disciples to, to pray to the Lord of the harvest, presumably him, uh, to raise up more people to go and proclaim that same gospel of his kingdom that, that he has been busy proclaiming all this time. He's expanding his ministry here by having others now go to work for him with the same basic work, uh, proclaiming the same basic gospel of the kingdom to the same wonderful end. This passage is actually quite similar, don't you think, to, to this one, if I can read this to you, from early in John's Gospel in chapter 4 and verse 35 of John. Jesus was in Samaria and he said to his disciples, Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. 
Jesus loves metaphors, doesn't he? And agricultural metaphors seem to be his favourite. But he's not looking for fruit pickers. He wants people to go out and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Back here in our passage today in Matthew chapter 9, it's, it's hard to know where Jesus is at this point in time when he says these words. The last we read explicitly was that Jesus returned to his own town in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 1. He returned to his own town, presumably Nazareth, way up north in Galilee, an administrative region in Rome, of Rome in Jesus' day that, that coincided with the very northern part of what once upon a time was the nation of Israel in, in Old Testament times. And if Jesus is in Nazareth, chapter 9 and verse 1, he's in Galilee. But last week we read in chapter 9 and verse 9 that he passed on from there. And again in verse 27 that he passed on from there too, wherever that was. And so the trail has gone cold. We can't really know and be sure where Jesus is when he talks about this harvest work to proclaim the kingdom at the end of chapter 9. And as he then proceeds to commission his 12 disciples for that work at the start of chapter 10. But I'd suggest that he's probably still up in Galilee. Perhaps he might have been just to the south in Samaria. Say, if that different account in John's Gospel that I just mentioned has happened at around this same time. FYI, the the administrative region of Samaria at this time started around 10 k's to the south of Nazareth. And that'd be like walking from here to Burns Beach. Uh, Perhaps, too, he could be back in the Decapolis region, like he was at the end of chapter 8 for a while. If you walked 15 k's to the southeast of Nazareth, you'd be in that jurisdiction. That'd be like walking from here to Banksia Grove. But all three of those Roman territories are up in what used to be the, the breakaway northern kingdom of Israel in the old days. And therefore, what Jesus might be saying to his disciples here for for this particular mission, it could just be simply go straight down south to that administrative region of Judah, where the remnant of Israel still persists in its southern kingdom. It's time to take this gospel of the kingdom to the people there, in the very heartland of the Jews. Go and get them ready for my coming, for soon I will go there too. Because they too are lost. They too are lost every bit as much as the Gentiles and the Samaritans up here whom they despise. Anyway, Jesus shows us that that he's already been working on the answer to that prayer that he told them to pray in chapter 9, that the Lord of the harvest would raise up laborers. Not that this here is the sum total of what he must have meant by raising up laborers for his harvest, but he's ready to get started. He calls his 12 disciples in, in chapter 10, and he commits them unto this harvest work. He calls in his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, 
Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Clearly Jesus cares, we would say, don't you think, for the Gentiles too, based on what we've been reading through in recent weeks. His his compassion to heal the Roman centurion, do you remember? Uh, To heal the demon-possessed men on the other side of the lake. Not to mention that uh, Galilee itself has been populated more by Gentiles than it has by Jews ever since the northern Israelites were taken into exile about 750 years before this by Assyria. Galilee of the Gentiles, it was called in chapter 4 and verse 15 at the start of Jesus' ministry. So too we'll read again next week, God willing, of Jesus' love for the Gentiles in the very next part of this commissioning speech he gives here as he immediately brings the Gentiles back into his harvest field. So too Jesus cares for the Samaritans, we can be pretty sure of that. The the, the Israelite refugees of that former northern breakaway kingdom of Israel who who later returned after the Assyrian exile and and repopulated the land uh, intermingled with, with those Gentiles who resettled with them. That similar passage in John 4 that I mentioned just before, that was what Jesus said to his disciples about the Samaritans who were being saved into his kingdom on that occasion. Of course he cares for them too. But there's simply an order about Jesus' ministry. In broad strokes, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to the Jews and with priority but then also to Samaritans and Gentiles as well, which actually lines up with the way that God had previously worked beforehand, uh, such as through Abraham first, but so as to then bless people of all nations. So too it lines up with how God worked later through the apostles, taking the gospel first to Jews, but then to Gentiles too. We might notice that Jesus' motives for this particular mission as he commissions these 12 men, his motives are still the same. There's a connection between the chapter 9 bit and the chapter 10 bit now uh, coming up with the, the pastoral metaphor that he invoked before, back in Galilee or wherever he is in chapter 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And for the mission to the Jewish heartland where he's sending these 12 men, chapter 10 and verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The connection is clear. It tells of Jesus' compassion for Israel and and compassion such that nobody could think, uh, you know, that Jesus just came to reject Israel or anything like that. No, on the contrary, he has compassion for them. He saw to it that they were called, loudly and clearly, they were called into the gospel, his kingdom, as a priority. So too we should continue to notice that Jesus' message for this mission is, is also, therefore, still the same. The charge that they preach the kingdom of heaven, verse 7, and proclaim as you go saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We ought to ask of this harvest work, what is the gospel of the kingdom? As chapter 9 and verse 35 had put it, what is the gospel of this kingdom? 
Well, we're going to think about that more at our teaching day on Saturday, so I kind of don't want to say too much today. Uh, but I, I think I must give at least one word uh, to that question. In Mark's account of this very same sending of these 12 for this very same mission, he, he tells us that they also preached, repent. It's in Mark chapter 6. If you want to check it out later or if you like multitasking, you can flick to it now. Repent, they said. And the two things go together, of course. That's what Jesus himself had opened his whole preaching ministry with in chapter 4, verse 17, that we keep going back to look at. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So there's two angles on this gospel of the kingdom uh, that we could probably take into next Saturday, and they go together. So Jesus' disciples are going to preach both of those things. Matthew's just giving us shorthand here. The bottom line is that these 12 disciples are going out to do what Jesus himself has been doing. They're going out to proclaim the kingdom of heaven, accompanied by signs and wonders that are of him. They are his workers for his harvest, and the motive and the message are of him. So too, I think we should ask of this harvest work, what is the kingdom of this gospel? Luke's account of this same sending of the twelve, and we read that Jesus instructed them to preach the kingdom of God. That's in Luke chapter 9, if you want to follow it up later or if you want to multitask and flick there now. The same twelve, the same mission, Matthew 10, Luke 9. And obviously it's the same message. To proclaim the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew puts it, is to proclaim the kingdom of God, as Luke puts it. The two expressions are two ways of conveying the same thing. Matthew usually uses the expression kingdom of heaven, but not always, mind you. The other gospel writers prefer the other expression, the kingdom of God. They're all speaking about one and the same thing which becomes quite clear when you do look across all the four Gospels at the various passages that record the same accounts, like this sending of the Twelve for this mission. So I guess we might ask, I suppose, well, what did Jesus actually say? Did he say, preach the kingdom of heaven, or did he say, preach the kingdom of God? Well, the simple answer is yes. They're the same thing. Be aware, though, that some Christians advocate for there being two different kingdoms. And part of the reason the way they think that is, is because Matthew alternates between both of those phrases in his gospel. Sometimes Matthew says kingdom of heaven, sometimes he says kingdom of God. Some people don't see the, the simple synonym, uh, nor do they see the harmony of the four gospels that record these same events. But rather they think that there must be some secret or, or second kingdom that only Matthew speaks about and and that Matthew has, if rather cryptically, hidden in his text. But if there were two different kingdoms, then Jesus would have been sending these 12 men out here for two different harvests with two different gospels. The reality is the same Holy Spirit wrote all four gospels and there is no shadow or confusion or inconsistency in his mind. And there is great overlap in the things that his four Gospels record for us. His commissioning of the Twelve to proclaim this Gospel of the Kingdom is a perfect example of that. The wording might vary due to the different human authors, but the spiritual truth that he is conveying to us is one and the same. 
There is but one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one people of God, one kingdom into which he calls those people. Matthew's not suggesting here that that Jesus' work to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom is about anything less than what Luke reports and, and vice versa. There is a unity and a beautiful harmony of scripture and here is the bottom line. Jesus offers the same kingdom to all who repent and believe in his gospel. In this mission, he's offering it with priority to the Jews, out of his faithfulness to them, no doubt, and out of his compassion to them, we can see in the text. And and we should note that he, he entrusts his 12 disciples with this mission. Rather than just empowering them for this mission, he entrusts them to him. Uh, he's sending them out ahead of him, it would seem. He gives them some basic guidelines for this particular mission. Verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead. Cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the labourer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. The gospel of the kingdom that Jesus is sending these 12 men out to proclaim is no less than being saved on judgment day is what it's about. No less than that. And and the kingdom of the gospel, therefore, is what Jesus wants to save us into. I do find it interesting that Jesus gives all 12 disciples this authority over evil spirits and, and the power to heal and raise the dead and the responsibility of preaching the gospel of the kingdom that can save people from the horror of judgment day. In John's Gospel, we are told that Jesus knew of these 12 men he chose that Judas was a devil. His word, not mine. John chapter 6, verse 70, Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. And here he is sent out with this authority. Perhaps we can factor that into what we were thinking about a few months ago when we were in Matthew chapter 7. We read, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Clearly, we need to be very careful not to make the mistake of following people when we hear this gospel of the kingdom. Rather, we must hear the gospel of the kingdom and follow Jesus. Imagine if these lost sheep in in, in the house of Israel responded to this mission from the disciples here by, by following Judas 
No, signs and wonders should never point us to the workers of the harvest, but only unto the Lord of the harvest, Jesus. We must be on our guard. And I would ask of you a few things in that regard. First of all, if you are hoping to draw people after you in some way, then please don't do that with Jesus' sheep in this church. Secondly, everyone please keep an eye on me. And thirdly, watch yourself too, that, that you don't accidentally somehow make this flock about me in any way, shape or form. Churches have pastors, yes, but, but all of us are Jesus' sheep. So whatever I say, whatever anyone else may say, please only ever respond by following even more so Jesus. It's the gospel of his kingdom that you need to hear. That's the only thing that can save you on judgment day. You need to hear that gospel and anchor your life in him. And make sure you do respond to it. It's probably, it's probably the thrust of this mission as far as the lost sheep of Israel are concerned. Make sure you do respond. And of course, that's uh, the thrust of it as far as we are concerned too, that we should make sure we respond. This, this gospel of the kingdom it continued to be proclaimed, of course, after this particular mission that we're looking at here. The gospel of the kingdom wasn't just a message proclaimed by John the Baptist in chapter 3 and verse 2, not just something that Jesus was talking about when he started his ministry in chapter 4 and verse 17. It's not just something these 12 are going to talk about when he sends them out here in chapter 10 or in Mark 6 or Luke 9, if you're looking at it there. It was also proclaimed by the 72 disciples that Jesus sent out a little bit later than this in Luke chapter 10. It was also proclaimed by the apostles thereon after in Acts and in the letters to the churches that flowed all through the New Testament, whether through Peter in Jerusalem or Paul in Athens or ten times still running through the book of Revelation. Repent, repent, repent. It's called the eternal gospel in Revelation 14 and surely because it does not change. The message of Jesus is still one and the same for you and I today, my friends. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But since we're here in this account, in, in Matthew 10, in the sending of these 12 for this mission, uh, heed the warning here about, about not receiving the gospel of, king, of the kingdom from, from Jesus via, via these 12, because, because this too, of course, is also still true today at the end of our reading. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Please don't neglect this basic gospel of the kingdom that Jesus proclaims to the world. Turn to him and repent. Ask of him to bring you into the kingdom of heaven. Sodom and Gomorrah were, were towns that were destroyed by sulfur and fire from heaven. If you want to read the story, it's in Genesis 19. Rejecting the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus says here, is going to somehow be a worse fate than that. 
And don't think your family heritage or, or your background or anything like that is going to excuse you or save you on that day. The dusting off of one's feet after leaving a house or a town was a traditional Jewish way of dismissing Gentile unbelievers. And, and here it is being used towards the lost sheep of Israel such that should they not likewise repent and receive this gospel of the kingdom that Jesus came to proclaim, they too will be cut off forever. He has compassion on them. That much we can be sure of. As with the Samaritans and the Gentiles too, that much we can be sure of. But whoever does not respond in faith to this gospel, repent and receive this truth of the kingdom, they will be cut off from the kingdom of God which actually, if you go back and read the last few chapters of Matthew's Gospel we've been through, Jesus has been at pains to make clear. Rather, be a house of peace in response to this Gospel of the Kingdom, as per verses 11 to 13. Let the very peace of God rest upon you by the power of his Gospel because it is the very message of God's peace to all who will receive it. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Nahum 1.15 Repent then and, and believe in the eternal gospel. And may the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ fully and forever come upon you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you as always for your scriptures and the privilege again for opening Matthew today. Thank you for showing us here in this text your compassion for people who are lost. We pray on behalf of those, Father, who still need to repent, still need to receive your great gospel. We pray that you would pursue them and, and draw in those who you would save. And we know too, Father, that, that we too were once lost. We too were once without you as our God, but that in your mercy you softened our hearts to find repentance and to find life through this very same gospel of which we read about again in your scriptures today. We never tire of this beautiful message, Lord. We pray that you would keep us mindful of the way that you saved us, though we were once lost. When we try to share your gospel with others, help us to find that kind of posture. Help us not to complicate things or overthink things or, or lead people astray in any way from this gospel. But let us rather focus on the simplicity of your gospel and the power in your gospel that it has to save. And in Jesus' name, we pray for your peace to really rest upon us and saturate us until the day of forever. Amen.